Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and around the world. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Carmen Pavlovich. As the head of the Sydney-based company Global Creatures, Pavlovich is a producer behind stage shows that travel the world, with a portfolio that includes stadium spectacles like Walking with Dinosaurs, as well as musicals like Muriel's Wedding, Strictly Ballroom, King Kong, and the current Broadway success, Moulin Rouge. With shows currently running or planned to be running across multiple continents right now, Pavlovich has a notably international perspective on the theater business and on the current challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me from Sydney, she's in the virtual studio with me to tell us about producing a Broadway hit and then putting it on pause from half a world away. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Gordon. Nice to be talking to you from what's sunny Australia at the moment. Oh, yes. Nice. Um, as you mentioned, you are in Sydney right now. What's yeah. life like over there? Um, well, I, you know, we um, are just coming out of our summer uh, into autumn. So um, thankfully not on the back of, of flu and cold season like, like you are in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but I'd say, look, from a lockdown point of view, it's pretty similar to um, what other countries are going through around the world. We're on pretty tight restrictions 
working from home, homeschooling from home, um, and, uh, you know, not really supposed to leave home unless it's for um, exercise, groceries, or some sort of medical care. Um, yeah. So And theatres are also shut down, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, theatres are shut down. It's slightly, I think we kind of followed the West End a little bit more than the US, where uh, for us on Broadway, it was obviously mandated as a closed down um, in London and um, here in Australia, it was a kind of recommendation from government, which I must say caused quite a lot of confusion um, here and and in the West End as well. So um, I'd say from a a shutdown point of view, we're going through pretty similar times. Um, But then just, you know, if we're looking kind of, I suppose, at the difference between us as countries, um, Australia started with a similar kind of spread what you had in the US and, and what we followed in the UK. But, yeah. uh, you know, we've got a lot of space in this country. And like I said earlier, we're, we're coming out of um, summer. So I guess we haven't sort of had this toll taken on people's health generally. And we've got a very, very equitable and robust health system here. So, you know, free testing and, and very widely available testing from early on has meant yeah. we've got a, um, a wildly lower morbidity rate uh, than other countries around the world. So, um, yeah, everybody's grappling here with the same sort of issues about, you know, what, what reopening might look like and um, what those conditions might be for us as a country as a whole and then industry specific as well. So a yeah. lot, lot of similarities, but then, you know, I'd say, as I said, from, particularly from a, a healthcare point of view, healthcare, very, yeah. very different outlook, yeah. yeah. And as we're recording this right now, it's been about six weeks since the Broadway shutdown. Mm. What was it like for you navigating that with your cast and your crew and your investors and everyone involved from so far away? Yeah, it's pretty intense, pretty intense. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I was in the US for most of February, Um, started off with the Broadway Across America conference. Um, In the Bahamas, we had the Moulin Rouge cast perform there. And and then I went on to New York for a few weeks. We had a... um, reading of uh, Muriel's wedding script going on there uh, and, of course, a lot of work happening on planning or putting the finishing touches on uh, a few big months of planning for Moulin Rouge. So I was there for all of, of February and uh, the situation was certainly ramping up while I was there. And actually we were starting to get quite a lot of illness in the building, but yeah. I was just really struck by, you know, the amount of colds and, and flu that were in New York at the time. And I, I look back now and I just think, wow, I think that was all on the move a lot earlier than people thought. But of course, as things were moving, we were having a lot of conversations. Um, I mean, I, you know, at the best of times, I'm at my desk by 7am because that's how I connect with the US time zone. So right. that that part of life is pretty um pretty um, much like another day at the office for me. Um, but certainly during that period in you know early March, we were really intensely on calls every day. Um, and then I sort of opened my eyes in bed at you know about six o'clock and I'd look at my phone and um, you know see were the messages like please call, please call, please call as soon as you wake up or <laughs> oh God, what's my phone gonna look like this morning? And I kind of and then I'd start waking up at five and then I'd start waking up at four AM because I just think, oh my God, what is happening over there? Because my overnight is is your daytime. I'm, you know, just thank yeah. God, just blessed with um, um, Bill Damashki as as my producing colleague there, and, and yes. Aaron Lasbader as the general manager. Yeah, and yeah. you know, look, we're very like minded, the three of us, with very similar values, and and they certainly know my feelings about um, you know showing leadership and, and communication at a time like this, and really trying to take care of the people. So we, we, we did bring in a number of initiatives pretty early on and we, we were having deep cleaning in the theatre, et cetera, and 
Um, the day the governor announced the shutdown of Broadway, we'd actually pulled a matinee that afternoon of our own accord. Um, yeah. And that, that was a pretty um, upsetting morning. Actually, I said I woke at five and I, 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 Bill had rung me during the night and I'd said, please, you know, call, I'm here anytime and I want to be part of the conversations. And um, oh, for some reason I had my phone on silent and missed it. And I was so upset when I woke up thinking, oh, my God, all these things are happening. But, you know, thankfully there's people there that could make really great judgments and, you know, certainly had right. blessing to do that, yeah. So um, it is it is tricky because, of course, at that time everybody wants to talk and I, I still find it, I'm sure you do, every call you go on people want to talk about what's happening in your country at the moment about COVID-19, what's everybody's yeah. kind of thinking about how we're going to come out of it. So it was an incredibly intense couple of weeks of just trying to get to everybody as fast as we could. Um Talking, um, yeah, looking at cash flows, how we're going to pay people, what what what's each country doing? Um, Australia and the UK and uh, America, North America, because we have plans both in North American tour and Broadway, and just looking at the different responses of each of those countries, um, just from yeah. an insurance perspective and a healthcare perspective and the um, economic rescue package point of view. I mean, we just had to go through each country and audit a whole lot of criteria and then weigh up what our respective staff and, and plans were in each of those countries. Um, so I did find myself on a, uh, you know, like a 24-hour cycle in those early <laughs> days because I'd get to the end of Australia, the Australian work day and go, okay, so now London's just waking up and then we deal with that all night and then we'll go to right. bed and I'll be, oh, my gosh, I've got to get up really early and sort of see what's happening in America. So, um, yeah. And how I, many, for Global Creatures, how many productions overall are we talking across how many continents? Because just for Moulin Rouge alone, you've got the Broadway production and you've already got plans in the works and, you know, you're sort of gearing up for, you know, London yeah. and Australia. What, how, talk me through the number of productions that you were uh, dealing with through yeah. all this. I mean, obviously the, the bulk of it for us is, is Moulin Rouge related at the moment. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, certainly we have Broadway, obviously, and the North American tour uh, is due to go um, out this fall. Um, and then we have the West End gearing up. That was due, or is due, I should say, sorry, that is due um, to open in March of next year and was due to go on sale um, in March of this year. So we were literally yeah. about to push a button on, you know, rolling out this big on-sale campaign in London when we had to um, close everything down. Um, and then Australia has been announced as well, and that season is due to start in July of next year. And likewise, we were, sorry, yes, starting in July, that's right. Likewise, we were um, gearing up to put that um, on sale in July of this year. So um, uh, we actually had auditions happening in Australia, and we right. shut those down kind of halfway through the audition process. Um, we had auditions scheduled for the West End for April and then finals again for May. So all of the auditions had to be pulled. Um, I mean, probably I'd say in the kind of 12 years that I, I've been growing this company, uh, the next four months kind of, you know, April through to June were probably really the most heavily scheduled we've ever had in the country's, in the company's wow. um, life, disappointingly. And, and we've really worked very hard these last um uh, months of last year, um, putting in plan all these plate, uh, putting in place all these plans that we were just about to hit a button on um, <clears throat> from April onwards. So, has been an awful lot to unpick. And then, um, I mean, these are not announced productions, but we're certainly in discussions and um, planning 
for Moulin Rouge productions in various territories, including Japan and, and throughout Europe and, um, you know, possible productions in Germany, um, Holland, Spain. Um, then in Asia, we uh, mentioned Japan. We're also looking at productions in Korea. So all of those were afoot in terms of filmmaking and um, potential dates for uh, scheduling auditions. And, of course, our creative team and, and just looking at even that rollout alone of, how you schedule a creative team for so many international productions and if it's not them, it's their associates and have we got enough associates and how do we train <laughs> them worldwide? So all of those plans are afoot. And then right. um, uh, Muriel's Wedding, we uh, mentioned that we had a reading of that in New York in February yeah. and then we were gearing up to a six-week lab for that production in New York that was supposed to happen over April and May, so we had to cancel that. Um, and then our old friend King Kong, um, yeah. we've been working on a production going to China and we had a um, session planned with a creative team. Um, we're looking at taking that down to a 90-minute version of the show. So uh, we had a, um, a session planned, uh, well, that was going to be in Australia at the end of April and we were flying out, you know, people from America and London and we're well down the path with planning that. So we had to pull that as well. Um, wow. <clears throat> Yeah, and then we were actually uh, Walking with Dinosaurs has just finished an international uh, world tour and we think that's the last time our beloved dinosaurs will go out. So we were looking at having a little bash uh, back here in Australia to celebrate that production and, and what it's meant to our company. So we've had to cancel that. So, I mean, that's that that's that's pretty well everything, I think, um, but it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. how do you – it must have been – particularly hard as uh you know the people you mentioned that you had a lot of sickness in the building at Moulin Rouge yeah. and then you know uh both Aaron Tveit and Danny Burstein have uh, yeah. been very public about the fact that they tested yeah. positive for coronavirus and had to deal with it and they're both doing better now um but what how do you talk to people who are involved in all these productions now how do you even begin to plan for the future and talk them through kind of what the what's ahead for the shows and for them uh, with Moulin Rouge specifically for Broadway? Um, yeah, and, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we did have an incredible amount of illness in um, COVID-related illness uh, in our building. Um, I mean, you know, we're kind of up to 20, 21 people who wow. have tested positive and, and I really am very grateful that we were able to move very, very quickly early on as soon as we saw a couple of temperatures in the building we did. Um, connect with a doctor and get the whole company tested. Um, and I mentioned, you know, to you that that matinee we took down because of temperatures, yeah. and and those particular temperatures did did return positive tests. So uh, it meant we were really on the front foot, which was a relief, and it meant you know the cast of course all went right into um, isolation. So we've been um, you know just very nervously waiting to see how everybody fares, and it's been fascinating the you know, the mixed reactions that people have had, which have really varied from a couple of very low-level crumbly signs through to some people being a lot sicker but still remaining home through to, you know, a couple of people, um, including Danny, obviously, who, who yeah. really ended up being much, much more sick. And I, you know, um, we had a cocktail Zoom with the cast of Moulin Rouge yesterday, uh, which for me was 7am. So <laughs> I put on my <laughs> red lipstick and red top and... <laughs> Pretended to make myself an espresso martini. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was so lovely to see everybody. It's very emotional, actually. Um, uh, and I, I hung back and just chatted with Danny a little at the end. And, you know, I can see he's really 
it's a great trauma to have seen your life flash before you and, and I can see he's swinging with the, um, you know, the sort of philosophical uh, largesse of it and the, the kind of, um, you know, just the anxiety and then, you know, having good days where he just feels so grateful and I, I just thought, said to him, this must be just such a big, big experience to process and one that's probably changed you forever. Um, in terms of our uh, Moulin Rouge cast, we, uh, you know, there's not a lot one can formally say, which is really frustrating yeah. in terms of what the future plans will be. But what we have been able to say to everybody, and, and this is where I feel incredibly blessed, is that Moulin Rouge, Moulin Rouge will be back. You know, it's a it's a um, a big bold international copyright, and um, this a show that um, I hope can really take a, a leadership role and be some kind of beacon, not just for Broadway, but in the West End and here in Australia and in other countries where it's a show that is um, very joyous. It's a show that's got a lot of um, hope and it's a show uh, that we try and embody its values in everything we do of truth, beauty, freedom and love. And, you know, we think and talk a lot about that at the moment and how we can kind of inspire and invigorate um, people in various communities around the world. And, and I think, you know, everybody in their respective casts and, and not just the cast, obviously there's very big teams of people behind the scenes, um, crew, musicians, management. Um, uh, everybody feels very inspired by the opportunity to take that role in the future. Um, and <clears throat> it's tempting to, um, you know, in the early days of this, I thought, oh, it's so unfair. I've worked for 12 years to finally have a show on Broadway that's working and right. um, you know, all these plans. And I, I did have, feel sorry for myself for a couple of days, but boy, that didn't last long because I just looked around me and I thought, wow, just shut up, Carmen. I mean, you know, we're very, very blessed, very blessed. We had cash flow, we have an advance, um, yeah. we have a, a copyright that people are interested in around the world. So you know, we do just really talk with everybody about that, um, that there will be a future. We're just busy trying to work out what it is and that the path hasn't yet quite revealed itself. I'll have more with Carmen right after the break. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. And now here's more. Carmen Pavlovich of Global Creatures. Oh, yeah. actually, let's turn toward uh, Global Creatures in general. How big yeah. is Global Creatures? And tell us a little bit about, you mentioned uh, 12, it's been 12 years now since you, uh, since the company launched in 2008. Uh, tell us a little bit yeah. about sort of what it is and uh, what its specialties are. Yeah, um, we're not a big company. People frequently think we are. People think we're some kind of um, studio and that, um, you know, um, my business partner is just some really rich guy that kind of chucks money around. I mean, it's so funny to me. This has been a bit of a narrative over the years when I was that dinosaur company. I'm like, well, 
um, Walking with Dinosaurs uh, is a um, uh, production that really kickstarted the company um, back in 2007, but it was a standalone production. Um, it wasn't um, run by Global Creatures at that point. Um, but Jerry Ryan, who's now my business partner, we own the company together. I said to him, I'm not interested in coming back to Australia to just uh, do what most companies in Australia do, which is replicate um, Broadway and West End shows. Um, I want to create content in Australia, flip the model that we can take to the world. Um, and Jerry is not someone who came from a theatre background, but he just sort of loved the idea of the innovation of it, I suppose, and, um, you know, making Australia a first in that regard. So he, he got on board and funded overhead very early on. So um, that gave me room to go out and secure titles. I thought, well, I don't want to just keep coming up with shows that are about animatronics um, because I'll make really bad choices. And also the animatronics are really expensive and really take a very long time to development. It's all boutique technology, none of it. It's all bespoke. You know, every right. every show had to sort of have its own plan and it just really you know, the development time is very long. So I did start thinking, well, you know, my aspiration for the company is not just to be a show a company that makes shows about creatures or has animatronics. I want to tell international stories or stories that appeal to international audiences and appeal because they have universal themes and they're very relatable. So, of course, in the next um, phase of the company was securing titles like Strictly Ballroom and Moulin Rouge and Muriel's Wedding, um, which we then spent, you know, the second sort of half of this decade developing and then in the last couple of years starting to take them out around the world. Yeah. Right. And how, uh, you mentioned you have experience in all sorts of territories all around the world. How, what makes Broadway unique and or uniquely difficult in terms of producing a show here? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really, um, I, I'm loving the whole Broadway experience in just, sort of a massive way um I, I i think essentially it, it's just that the stakes what makes it so unique is that the stakes are so high and that that is a real blessing and it's a real curse uh you're heavily, because of the visibility is this because, because of the visibility. visibility of broadway is that what it is yeah well i'd yeah. say it's, it's partly visibility and and partly a cost factor and and um okay. you know so on both those fronts you're mm -hmm. heavily rewarded in success and and heavily punished in failure um <laughs> both from a kind of, um, you know, a critical point of view and the associated visibility of that. Um, right. And then just from a cost point of view, you know, it's no secret that producing shows on Broadway is, um, you know, probably the most expensive market in the world. Um, <clears throat> yet, uh, and in the early days of Moulin Rouge, I did really think a lot about, oh, should I open it in the West End or should I open it in Broadway? And this was a big sort of internal struggle for many years for me. And, you know, many people would say to me, oh, but it's so much cheaper in the West End. You know, you'll open it up much more economically in the West End. I was like, yes, but correspondingly, you don't get the same box office um, that you can get on Broadway in success. Um, so it's, you know, it's pretty incredible when I look at the, um, both King Kong and Moulin Rouge actually were both selling about 10,000 tickets a week. Uh, Moulin right. Rouge is a very hot ticket, so I had a much higher average ticket price and King Kong obviously yeah. was not a hot ticket, so I had a much lower average ticket price. Therefore, we just couldn't get that box office up to sustain the costs. Right. Um, I, I do really love, I mean, you know, the community factor is undeniable um, and that that is a real privilege and a, a great pleasure to be part of. Um, I've always been told, you know, over the years that Broadway doesn't like outsiders and, you know, you won't be accepted. Um, but I just haven't experienced that at all. Um, 
I really haven't. I, I just haven't found that to be true. I have felt um, very welcome there um, at, at every level, actually, amongst the agents and um, media and uh, within the kind of producing community, um, incredibly collegiate. Um, uh, and, you know, that's actually been a real pleasure and a real career highlight for me, I will say. Um, and probably, you know, as a function of um, the pedigree and um, history and just the geography of Broadway, it means it can be highly organised. So, you know, there's a level of um, organisation there um, and sort of benchmark and expectation and sort of set of rules for everything that, you know, I often sort of um, get asked for, to agree to something in a deal and I think, oh, my gosh, if I do say yes, it becomes the new black for everybody on Broadway and so I'm always mindful of that but it is like from an organisational point of view really very clear set of guidelines and expectations about how kind of, you know, just deals and day-to-day -day happenings work so that part of it's mm. been really great. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, just the quality of the work that's there. I mean, wow, isn't it just what a remarkable time. I, I just yeah. um, spent a lot of time in New York in December seeing shows and just I just felt high as a kite thinking, look at the level of work that's here at the moment. It's really, really extraordinary. What a great time yeah. to be part of Broadway. Well, not this particular moment, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now. Well, actually, even now. Actually, I'll, I'll re rephrase that because I, I do feel um, – even now in this moment of just unbelievable hardship and, you know, you think, gosh, we'll be talking to our grandchildren about this period of time. Um, right. there, there is something, you know, I feel like we're part of a legacy moment um, for sure and, and that, that is difficult but it's a great, great privilege as well and to think about what contribution we can make to that and how, how we rebuild this community coming out of it is um, something I, I wouldn't shy away from as an as a opportunity to contribute to. Yeah. You mentioned King Kong and that had a yeah. long and windy road to uh, <laughs> yes. finally making it to New York. What do you consider that show's biggest successes? What are you most proud of about that show? Um, look, I, I have a lot of thoughts about King Kong, of course, because it's been a very long and, and very unique journey. Um, I, I'm really proud and I will always be proud of the um, commitment to innovation with that production, with the puppetry um, and the sheer kind of boldness of it. Um, I, I did, um, you know, I did think there was a lot that really succeeded creatively in the production itself and, you know, I feel really um, not shy to say that I also think creatively there's a lot that didn't succeed. It's a very tricky proposition to make work, um, but I do feel that it delivered, you know, good or bad, it delivered something that audiences haven't seen on stage before. And I just personally, as a theatre maker, would rather um, say that I worked on a show and was able to help facilitate a show that did that rather than something that wasn't adventurous. Um uh, you know, I, I, I think a lot, uh, you can imagine, it was a pretty strange week for me um, to announce on a Tuesday to the King Kong cast that the production was closing and two days later on a Thursday night, Moulin Rouge had its first sold-out preview with such sort of um, buzz and expectation around it and I just thought, wow, this is really a very pretty schizophrenic week. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 
I, I'm, I've never worked on a show that was so close to being a hit and so far from being a hit commercially. Like it just, mm. as I said, to, to kind of sell 10,000 tickets a week on Broadway yet still not be able to really kind of feel like we had this show that people were falling over themselves to see. It, it was such a kind of schizophrenic um, feeling and we, we'd often puzzle it with the marketing agency. You just go, wow, there are a lot of ticket buyers there. But um, this show's really not just found its place uh, on Broadway and, and amongst that Broadway community. Um, look, you know, there's so many things I think, oh, should we have made it a play? Should we have made it a ballet? Should we have not done it at all? Should we have whatever? <laughs> but I, you know, I kind of, I'll always be grateful for that production and I, I still am really fond of it and I'm excited about taking it to China and I'm excited about um, what that show could look like. Um, and as I said, I, I just look at, you know, the puppetry alone and think of that incredible achievement. I mean, you know, to yeah. sort of say, oh, what, what, wonder if we can make a, a show of King Kong work and to actually go from that to delivering that extraordinary puppet and that incredible idea of the King's Company being the kind of human energy breathing life into animatronics and automation. I, 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 I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, I mean, it was tough. I mean, it was pretty brutal. Speaking of yeah. the stakes being high and low, I mean, there's, there's no yeah. denying it was a pretty brutal experience. Um, and just, you know, to make a hit is as much hard work as making a flop. And, you know, there's a level of, um, you know, I think people, if we don't sort of support and embrace that kind of risk-taking, uh, that's, that's a bad outcome for our industry. So, I, you know, I look at, I line up Moulin Rouge and Broadway and I think it's the same people, sorry, Moulin Rouge and King Kong, and I think, well, it's the same people behind both. It's the same kind of boldness, the same innovation. There was a version of Moulin Rouge that might not have gone very well despite expectations. Um, right. yeah. You know, you think on paper the creative teams are all, you know, remarkably accomplished, um, uh, remarkably accomplished, all of them. Uh, yeah. And as a company we supported very long development periods for both. So I guess that's just the nature of the business. Yeah. And you mentioned Muriel's wedding and the yeah. wedding that was going to happen and then is now postponed for a bit. What's the plan mm -hmm. for Muriel's wedding the, uh, to bring it to New York here at some point? Well, I mean, we haven't got a plan to, but I'd you know certainly like to try. Um, we developed that production and premiered it at Sydney Theatre Company a few years ago and then we had a commercial run through Australia. Uh, the show did very well uh, in Australia, which was lovely. It got a great critical reception both times. Um, I think uh, it's a show I'd say I feel really proud of. I just I think it's really hit the right tone um, in terms of comedy and the more serious um, nature of the piece, the sort of darker elements that, that, that lie underneath. I'm really proud of the the. Um, the way the score and the book have come together and, uh, you know, it was a question early on of how on earth could we make ABBA songs sit next to original music and not flash forward to reviews where, you know, you can imagine them, oh, the new music felt bolted on or, oh, the only good bit was the ABBA songs. Right. Um, and to ask composers to go up against ABBA and write music that would sit alongside them was, uh, you know, a big, big question. Um, but I think the score that Kate and Keir have delivered has just been really phenomenally great and the piece feels really cohesive and, and certainly that was reflected in, in all of the reviews. Um, so I, I was wondering whether to an American ear um, this piece um, uh, would work and whether it would resonate and whether that quirky sort of Australian humour 
um, would land. So I was very keen to hear it read um, read in New York, and I also wanted to hear whether what the Australian accent sounded like and did they sound pantomime-like or did they sound like real people. Um, so we did that process in February and it was wonderful and, and I thought really um, inspiring to all of us to think that there might be a life for Muriel's wedding in America with American audiences. So, yeah, we were gearing up to the lab in April as a next step. And is there anything uh, else you have in development that you can tell us about? Uh, we have other things in development, but I can't name them yet, I'm afraid, but they're not, um, you know, they're very, very early days. Uh, there's a couple yeah. of projects um, that we are just kind of tinkering at the edges with. Um, I think, you know, uh, I really wanted in my plan was to get um, Moulin Rouge uh, secure through its first year on Broadway and, and rolling out of these this first wave of, of big territories with the tour and the West End and, we were just keeping these sort of productions in the background and then, of course, you know, it would all been slowed down and derailed somewhat. But it's also a great time um, to bring everybody back to a creative place of thinking and being and writing and, you know, in some ways we're busier than ever and in other ways I think it's the perfect moment for us to um, be putting some emphasis back uh, onto the creative development side of new projects. So, um, funnily enough, we do have some meetings scheduled next week by Zoom, of course, um, to try and take some of these new projects forward. But but for me, you know, they'd be probably another five years away, something like that. I mean, I don't know, these projects all just take so long to to um, develop and get up. Yeah. Yeah. And looking ahead in general with mm -hmm. the perspective that you have, having worked on these shows sort of all over the world, what yeah. do you feel are the challenges for theatre as it picks itself up? And how do you expected to change short-term, long-term? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think probably our biggest challenge right now is uncertainty. Um, that um, I think is, I'd describe that as a strength yeah. of theatre goers. Uh, sorry, the theatre community overall is that I think we're a group of people who, by the very nature of what we do, actually cope with uncertainty very well. Um, you know, shifting shows, being shows being greenlit and cancelled, or becoming hits when you didn't think they would, or becoming failures when we expected otherwise, etc. So, yeah. I think as an industry, um, we're probably compared to many um, wired to uh, cope emotionally with uncertainty. Um, yeah. But but that. You know that that challenge is very great for all of us. Um, yeah, it's, it is worrying when you hear conversations around the world about what would a comeback look like for different countries. And you know, generally, there's language tagged on that says that sort of public gatherings will be one of the last to come back. And right. you know, we're all kind of wondering what that's going to mean. And um, you know, where eight weeks felt okay, then you know, the end of June felt reasonable, and now September feels you know like the new part of the conversation and then I hear people starting to talk about later than that so yeah. um you know just trying to plan you know just thinking about Moulin Rouge specifically planning for that um if we got to go ahead um the kind of um just ramping up trying to cast you know five productions right. at once and that kind of train wreck that's going to inevitably happen with our scheduling of the creative team etc um right. You know, I just said to Bill yesterday, I'm so sick of talking about different scenarios. I've got to sort of keep them hovering in the out back of our minds but not really kind of um, spend too much time um, actually planning them all at the moment. 
Um, I, I do think uh, the challenge is really going to be to continue to show real grace and real courage um, in, in leadership and I think a lot about the role of leadership at a time like this um, at the political level and then also just even at our own company level. Um, I, I, <laughs> I have a great love of Winston Churchill, so I often just when I can't take it anymore, I, I just sort of go and have a little read of something related to Winston Churchill and what his sort of mm. wartime leadership looked like and what his values were, and I think they're sort of a good a good, uh, good blueprint for, for leadership going forward. Um, but certainly, um, you know, I think to also um, keep kind of radical and innovative thinking alive at a time where we seem to be living, you know, at a very conservative moment um, with government around the world, I, I, think, um, I think that ultimately will be the challenge to, to, to be bold and innovative in our thinking and, and to keep truth alive. You know, I think that would probably be the ultimate challenge I find now and I, I really observe America very closely and I think, you know, finding truth and for us, Moulin Rouge has been very much about truth. Um, that for me would remain one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And what for the theatre industry specifically gives you cause for hope as you look ahead? Well, I mean, at a kind of, you know, macro or level, I, I, I think um, the thing that gives me hope is that human beings have such an incredible capacity to be hopeful. Um, long before this crisis, uh, I, something that really strikes me about people is um, how, how um, it must be a survival instinct we've got to be hopeful about our futures. Um, and then, you know, when I look, to our industry specifically, um, I, I, I did uh, comment a little earlier about how I think we are wired to deal with uncertainty and change. It's sort of at the core of what we do. So I think yeah. I think that probably as a skill set puts us in good stead. And, yeah. you know, as a mother, it's sort of one of the core skills I've tried to give my children, thinking, okay, what will this generation need as they grow older? And I think it will be a capacity to deal with change. So for our business, um, you know, that's that's going to be a real opportunity. And, I, you know, I had this virtual tour, um, technical tour of, of the Australian theatres with Derek McLean the other day, who's a set designer mm. for Moulin Rouge, and I just thought, wow, we normally would have spent, you know, fifty or $60,000 and God knows what kind of carbon footprint flying a creative team to come here and assess theatres, and we did it by Zoom, and actually it was pretty great. Um, so I think those mm. sort of things, you know, give us an opportunity to, look at how we're doing um, business economically and, and just in terms of the environment as well. Um, and then, yeah. you know, I guess art has a habit of thriving during bad times, oppression, <laughs> catastrophe, et cetera. So, you know, I think we're really um, going to see hopefully the, the fruit of this experience um, show itself in, in some pretty unique work that will come out of it, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, we will look forward to uh, what from Global Creatures emerges from this, including Moulin yeah. Rouge. Um, yeah, thank you. It's yeah, really great to talk to you, Carmen. To Thanks for you. chatting. No problem. That was Carmen Pavlovich, the CEO of Global Creatures and a lead producer of Moulin Rouge. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe and find past episodes there and on all the other pod places, including Spotify and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Thanks for listening.
and see you soon. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.